month of July. Happy very belated 4th of July. Happy summer. I wish you a happy viewing of the Tour de France as we zero in on this final week. Let's see. Let's see. I can make a prediction because this podcast will release before the end of the tour. It's still a close race. We can see how decent of an analyst I am or maybe how well I can flip a coin in this two-pony race. I predict here and now that Tade will win the tour. And maybe that's just me hedging my bets because in a separate pool among friends, I started the month of July with Jonas in yellow when they finally reached Paris. Who knows? What I do know is that one of our best guests is back on the show, Roger Brown. If you don't know Roger, I highly suggest you go back and listen to episodes 75 and 91 of this here podcast. If you do know Roger, it's because he has a fan club. They make t-shirts. They make Hawaiian-themed t-shirts, in fact. Roger's my friend, a fellow co-owner of Untapped, a neighbor here in Vermont. He's a two-time Unbound 200 finisher on what I continue to profess is the least training in Unbound history. And he took that title into his attempt at the Unbound XL just a few short weeks ago. He and I both took on the 350, the XL. So in this conversation, we share trials and tribulations of the balmy, muddy evening riding or hiking across Kansas. Uh, Things have not gotten any simpler at home. He has four children in which they partake in something like 45 sports. Baseball, skiing, soccer, you name it. He's usually there some afternoon or evening. Also being at the helm of Untapped, and on occasion he's going for a bike ride. These conversations are nothing but fun. I really hope you enjoy them. Given that Roger and I work at Untapped together, we want to extend a coupon so that you can enjoy the delicious, nutritious wonder that is organic maple syrup as sports nutrition. Namely, all things untapped, all untapped nutrition from our offering of five energy packs, six waffles, two maple drink mixes. They are all available. Restrictions do apply. Don't miss out. Use the code podcast and save yourself 15% at checkout at untapped.cc. Again, untapped.cc and use the code podcast. And while you're at it, go on over and visit drinkag1.com slash tedking. And see what all the hype is about with AG1, formerly known as Athletic Greens. Through thick and thin, through busy travel, a hectic day-to-day, a busy life in general, my day is, is not quite complete until I've had AG1. It is the easiest way for me to get my micronutrients, adaptogens, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, and so forth that shuttle me through the day. One scoop or one packet into the very handy shake of a bottle, shake, 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 down the hatch. From there, it's a cup of coffee, and that's how I start my day. I think you should too. Again, drink ag the number one dot com slash Ted King. Unlock an offer to get five free travel packs plus a year's supply of vitamin D. It's as simple as that, folks. I know you're not here to listen to me babble. So next up, please enjoy this conversation with Roger Brown. That. Biking in Kansas. Biking in Kansas is fun, and you being a guest, a three-time guest now, that is fun. I got to admit, Ted. So, three fifty was biting off a lot. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> More. 
One of the things I was most nervous about going into it was if I don't make it, uh-huh. am I going to be able to do the podcast? <laughs> uh, here's a good question. I watched a video about my bike prep just the other day. And in it, I say, tomorrow I'm going to ride 352 miles. And it never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind that I wouldn't finish. The question is... Really? Did it cross your mind that you wouldn't finish? I mean, obviously, yes, if you you were pondering if you wouldn't get an invite on the podcast. I mean, that seemed hard. It seemed hard. I mean, I think... So... If you stepped back, for me, I mean, for you, you are, I think, a, obviously a different physical animal. For me, stepping back and looking at the totality of the 200s that I've done in the last two years have been challenging. I've gotten there, but I need to get to the end of 200 and then ride another 150. And so there, there are all those calculations that you do that, oh, wow, I'm going to get to what was the first aid station last in 2022 and that's going to be 225 miles into the ride right so i feel like i had made a lot of those those calculations um but i but the thing is ted i mean the first year that i did the 200 it was like ludicrous of me to even i hadn't trained that much the whole like it was hot the whole thing just seemed really hard so I feel like this year I was more open-minded about, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is possible. If you think you Did can. you notice anything in your first two, 200 mile unbounds, like year over year, like the second one was easier or you were more accustomed to it or you felt more famished at the end? Like... Could you use history as an indicator to what your estimates might have been for the 350? I think so much of it is believing, is having, being, believe, is just thinking you can do it. So much of it is getting on the line and thinking, not even just getting on the line, but being at every 10 miles or every 20 miles and saying, okay, I mean, this is, you know, I can't think about it as I'm going to need to ride for 24 more hours. Right. Um, just I'm gonna, so in that sense, having been able to accomplish, to do something once is really helpful. And I actually, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I even think that having just starting and getting through some of it is helpful in kind of mentally calibrating for a future time doing something like that. Yeah, it's a good testament to how how we approach the events differently. Meaning, when I do a 200-mile unbound, I expect to be in an ever-diminishing front group because, like, I'm purely racing, whereas yours is almost like a 200-mile time trial. And so you're metering your... You're, you're in and out of groups. Right, yes. But you're not oh, gauging yeah. yourself necessarily yeah, yeah. off other people, yeah. right? Yeah. So... You know, I, I had to extrapolate with it. Mine was going to be much more of a 350-mile time trial. Because you weren't going to be with... Uh, I mean, I guess... Maybe I should have anticipated... I don't, I don't know. I guess my point is, it's a totally different beast for me mentally. Whereas yours almost seems similar, just whatever, three... Not quite two times longer. 
I mean, there were less people, so that was yeah, a lot different. Yeah, yeah. That was that was good and bad. There was it, there was an interesting aspect to the grouping that so I had a flat maybe thirty miles in. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, that front tire. Yeah, the front tire. I the sidewall got jabbed. Huh. And that those was, massive, the like softball size. I saw the rock. And I mean, I've bounced off so many rocks in the last three years of Canvas. <laughs> I was like, ah, whatever. And then, sure enough, You're like I'm going to fight this rock and hit so, it. So the it um, there's a funny picture that Jenny has of me with I'm like smiling at the camera, and behind me is just this black cloud. Yeah. So right when I flatted was when the that thunder was starting, and and I was like, I stuck a plug in it, uh-huh. and it didn't really work. And I so I filled it with CO two. And it worked for a little while, and then got softer and softer and softer. Stuck another plug in it. Tried to, like, double it up. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I only stuck one in. Anyway, realized I was going to rapidly run out of CO2 by sipping the CO2. So then, finally, I got to where those radio towers were and, cha- and put a tube in. Um, even, yeah, put a tube in. It's like, I hope I don't get hit by lightning. This would be a real <laughs> Did you, okay, so many aspects of this are exciting, not least of which you're riding a lefty and this I is a front flat. Yeah. Did you not take Did the... not take the wheel off. Nice. <laughs> I was, um, that was awesome. That was yeah. so easy. Um, are you, okay. Why, Kansas, I, why would you take the wheel off? You Do don't people need... take the wheel off when they change? Yeah, because there's a lot of like leverage things and you're wrenching on the thing and maybe you don't want your bike leaning against the ground as you're doing it. I mean, this is a, a wild extrapolation from here. Like, I'm not leaning my bike lean on the ground. I'm letting Ted's bike lean on the ground. Our bike. <laughs> we need to talk about hardware because that's a very exciting part of this whole thing. Um, but the Kansas, the terra firma, the, the sharp rocks, the Flint Hills of Kansas, um, I think everybody's races have been benefited by tubeless technology taking over cycling in the past, call it four, three, two years consistently. Putting a tube in that early sucks because it almost guarantees you're going to get another flat. Did you get any more front flats? I didn't get any more front flats. So I had Great that. Great success. I, so that, that actually, so what I was going to get to, so I had a flat and I thought, shoot, I, I can't, there's no way that I'm going to make it 320 more miles. I have two more tubes. Yeah. I don't have that much CO2. Like Casey's so, variety does not sell so tubes. Right, right then, I thought, I was like, oh, man. This, all of a sudden, I go from feeling like, oh, I'm putting along, like life is good, to, oh, wow. This, yeah. this mechanical. And it made me super grateful that I hadn't had mechanicals the two years before until that one at the very end, the first year. Because um, it's really deflating, not... Uh, pardon the pun um, to have that because you have it and you're questioning but then the other big thing yeah. that, that was interesting on this ride is so I think there's a, a lot of people that do this some some people go into it have done bike pa- or it's not even bike packing have done whatever this is before God, stupid distance feel confident I got into the group of um and I say this with total respect and with just sort of a psychological examination of what was going on, but I got into the group of, you could say, quitters, non-believers, 
I just feel like there are going to be people at the bat, at the end uh-huh. who even 30, 40, 50, 60 miles in were, were just saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. I'm ready to be done. Hey, this um, is still a good weather. Uh, it had rained a little bit. Did it rain on you guys? I think it spat. It was like, yeah, all of a sudden, an hour and a half in, we were surrounded by black skies. And yeah. I took out my Doppler radar on my phone. And I was like, oh, my God. But it was a miracle we didn't get soaked. Yeah. Did you guys get soaked? Um, not really. It just kind of yeah, it was, it was like a little bit wet. Very hit or miss. Not, yeah. It looked apocalyptic. And I think that was when the course mm-hmm. for the next day got all wet. The mm-hmm. beginning was in that storm. Yep. Um, so even then, there's naysayers just chirping, saying... I, I was ready to be done at 30 miles. This is, this seems, you know, just people who... Such confidence. I know. But, the, and so you realize mentally, oh man, I got to get out of this. Yeah. I need to get away from this sort of group of folks. There was one guy, I'll never forget, I rode by him and he said, this was getting, this was probably at, in the evening. Yeah. And he said, uh, this is, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Huh. I said, how hard do you think it was going to be? <laughs> really hard. <laughs> Uh-oh. And this is way past that. Um, huh. Did you so, ask him if he'd done it before? or like He had done two, what did he say? He'd done several double centuries, or double hundreds, he called them. But he had never done 350 miles before. Wait, and I would argue most people who do this event have not ridden 350 miles mm-hmm. unless they've done the XL. Like, it's such a... There's not other, not other event. events like that, right? No, no. Yeah. Sure, some random 400-mile event exists, but... But 350... So long as 350's be... your first one, like, then that's how often you do a 350. Yeah. And that's got to be unique and not sleeping. Because people have done... People... Right. Many people have done... Um, which we'll call it high country. Arkansas? Arkansas high country. Hmm. There are a few people that I... Which, yeah, it does have... You can do the stupid distance, 1,000 miles, and I think there is like a three to 400-ish distance, which... But do you sleep? It's the same thing. No, if you're if you're gunning for it, then you don't sleep. But the pe- but my group is not gunning for it. That- and I wonder how long it would take... I don't, yeah, I don't think they would sleep either. I think it's basically a 40-ish hour pedaling time, so like, okay, you start early in the day... And you're going to basically ride for two days. Jan, of your favorite tire yeah, yeah. company, my favorite tire company, that's his his sweet spot distance. He's like, sub 48 hours, great. Over 48 hours. Over, over 48 hours, then you start need to be like, ah, I'm skipping two nights of sleep. This is beginning to be detrimental. How did you like the 3 p.m. start time? I liked it. I don't know. I mean, you and I talked about that. It was nice. The thing with the 6 a.m. is... You don't sleep very well the night before, mm-hmm. but 3 p.m. you sleep fine the night before. I could have done. I mean, I could have done 11. But I, but the nice thing with 3 p.m. then is that you're pretty fresh going into the night. You're not totally smoked. Uh-huh. Um, the start was super cool. That was that the, was a send off. That, that was, was cool. That was one of the funner athletic situations I've been in. That, yeah. was, that was awesome. And then we stopped training. <laughs> Exactly. We're all out of town for what? Maybe we didn't even do a mile. And there was a train. Um, no, I like 3 p.m. because you're certainly in the heat of the day. But whereas 11 a.m. you'd actually, you know, you'd see the heat coming in, roll in, be peak, and then go down. Whereas yeah. this is like, all right, peak heat, and then you're gonna have the sunset relatively soon. Yeah. Uh, sunset. There's something also really nice about rolling off in 
the sun and the nice weather because as we've seen the previous days and I mean the Kansas weather could be anything so yeah, yeah it'd be a different yeah, a morale buster if you start in just the pouring rain I think I, I, w- I would the morale busting that happened for me uh-huh. was walking <laughs> I don't know if we would get to the well, yeah, the pouring we rain, I'm fine. I would happily ride in the pouring rain if there was like a roof over the ground. <laughs> so yes. the ground stayed dry. Yeah, valid. Um, how much of the morale bust? I mean, let's just jump straight into where the, the our days begin to end. How much of the morale busting was texts from me? I was going to say, I can picture where I was on, there was some little climb walking along. And your, I can probably uh, turn my phone off. Yeah, your text was, I, I'm also walking. <laughs> I'm wild, like, in a seven-mile walking section. That, so that was interesting to me, was having you tell me what was going to happen, mm. I think increased my quitting likelihood. Which is, I say that analytically, not in like I would have necessarily wanted to go into something where I was going to walk for 20 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but psychologically, it's, it is interesting. Once you sort of decide, oh, this is impossible, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get yourself out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially over a hyper distance. And it probably only happens over a really long distance because it's not as though you're going to be like in a short sprint and be like, this is impossibly hard for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's like, no, this is very hard, not impossible for hours at a time. Yeah. Defined. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's what's interesting. And we, I mean, I don't need to get into the tour divide with you, but you're, I mean, let's talk about quitting. So yeah, this was, Trying things that are really, really hard means that sometimes you're not going to make it, right? Likely, yeah. I mean, by definition, if you always accomplish everything you set out to do, it's by some argument you're not trying to do things that are not really challenging yourself. Well, I think similar to Unbound XL, in Tour Divide, I really didn't have... I never had a bailout plan because my assumption from the start was that I was going to finish. Yeah. Um, so just until your second hospital admission, right. and then like, and and maybe that goes back to you receiving that confirmation text from me to be like, "Oh, this sucks. Like, they're going to quit soon." It's almost like if you have a bailout option, then you're already relying on a bailout option. Yeah. What? Even if subconsciously. What so yeah, for burn, the better. Burn your ships. Yep. Um, there, I mean, there were definitely moments out there where, in the first year, I think, there were times when had somebody showed up, I would have gotten in the car. Mm-hmm. But nobody showed up, and then I just kind of pushed through. Um, yeah, I mean, in the night, in the middle of that mud, walking, broken spoke, if there had been a car there with someone in it, I would have been like, yeah, this is... I think you would have tried, I, if you had a taxi service, right. frankly, I think you would have been quite busy. <laughs> if you, yeah. There were, yeah, there were a lot of grumpy people. Yeah. Um, in our group, I think 
we're a lead group of six people walking along and we all agreed that it was just at the point of stupid and we all got on our phones and we all started texting and calling and we all had marginal service like one bar at best yeah. and nobody could get a call out or a text out except me about 20 minutes later and I think that was that was my I ended up bringing one other person out and do you think if you had because I from, I mean I didn't I made it whatever another 30 miles or something I made it to 225 yeah and I think and you we've talked about this but you I think the mud ended where you stopped I think I don't know if there was mud so you didn't get it over the next 25 miles no I listened to a podcast with uh, Chris and Legan who finished she was the top woman and she finished certainly in the top 10 I forget where fifth sixth um I think she finished six because she said in the final like hill into town she had two or three people pass her, but she crushed it. She did amazingly well. Yeah, yes. She talked about a five mile section and a seven mile section of walking, um, relatively consecutively. So I wonder if the five mile section. Uh, I mean, that was on again, off. You're on the bike, off the bike, on the yeah. bike, off the bike. Whereas the seven mile section, I think, basically really was a seven mile walk. We walked. I mean that is twelve miles of water. Like that's a hike. That's that's foolish, like a day. Right? That's a yeah. half marathon. Um, I mean that's what you go out and walk if you walk in a day. I mean I don't know, you could walk twenty miles, but right pushing up. A- I mean that was when I got your text and I thought I have to go three hundred fifty miles. If I walk seven, like what, I can't walk three hundred fifty miles. This right. is insane. <laughs> you did. I think you literally said that in text. I cannot. Or no, you called me. I cannot walk three hundred fifty miles. Uh, I mean yeah. Re- rehashing it now I think there was a five mile section where it was a lot of on the bike off the bike yeah so I think I hit that at about one yeah and that's brutal because then you're cleaning your everything Uh get back on the bike ride for a while get off you're covered in mud that's a psychological examination because like every time you get on the bike it's the optimism of oh that was the last of it that was the last of it I'm gonna go and then you ride either 100 yards or actually one funny thing was um and you don't experience this because you're in front of everybody, but you would ride along, and if you saw taillights, if you saw red lights, that was good. Yeah. If you saw white lights, it meant everybody was off their bike and had their handlebars <laughs> cranked back to look at, to yeah. scrape the mud out of their rear triangle. Yeah. Um, oh, my word. Um, yeah. I got, I, uh, I have now done, I did two random business trips in the last two weeks, and I was Monday morning... I went to get on the flight in Burlington, and my driver's license still did not scan because the mud is still scratched into the... No way. <laughs> He's like, what's wrong with your ID? Is this a fake? No. Ever heard of Unbound? I did it. I did the other... I felt bad. I, maybe this, this gentleman will listen to the podcast, but I had... I gave away my bike tool. Some guy needed to change his tire and had lost his bike tool, and so I was like, all right, well, whatever. Here's a tool. Like, Yeah. Like a multi-tool uh, Allen key? Yeah, yeah. Mine, the multi-tool that I was carrying. But then the seat, my seat loosened up a little bit. Uh-huh. And this is in one of the mud walking sections. And so I, I asked some guy to borrow his to tighten it up. And he hands me this like pristine, clean bike tool. Uh-huh. And I felt so, when I handed it, I, it probably didn't even close and I handed it back to him. It was so muddy. Here you yeah. go, bud. Sorry. Dip it in the next... Good luck. Cow pond. 
Um, that was funny. What's that? That second gas station. So we got there yeah. at, I don't even know, 4, 3, or I got there at 3.30. It's like mile 150-ish. Mile 150-ish. Yeah. Um, before the mud section that you then walked. Uh, and we're, there was a little spigot on the outside of the building. And a bunch of us where we had a little bucket and we were splashing water on the bikes from the bucket. Highly effective. Highly effective. It's like a pressure washer. Some guy, some guy walks out of the gas station with a pressure washer. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah. I, he said, yeah. I asked the guy behind the counter if he had a pressure washer. No way. And he had a pressure washer. Wow. So then we pressure washed all our bikes. Which is, man. It's comical at that point. I mean, it's no different than cleaning your bike with the optimism of, well, it's all all downhill and tailwinds from here. But you have to, right? Cause, uh, yeah. I mean... Right. It would be stupid not to. It's just such a bummer that you're just going to oh. ruin it another 10, 20, 15, 30 minutes later. I, before the ride, I had said, if I get to mud, I'm going to immediately get off my bike yeah. and walk. Right. I, that plan went fell apart uh-huh. quickly. And even if you do follow through that, you're sort of... You can't, you up a creek of, because you can't, of your, you just shoe, walk your feet are canoes of 12 and, pounds of mud. And you just walk the whole time. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to get up. I, yeah. yeah. I watched a guy. It's common to tear your derailleur off if you, because to your point, okay, intuitively you say, as soon as I hit mud, I'm going to get off my bike. I'm just going to get off my bike. I'm going to get off my bike. Right. But common sense goes out the window and then you'll, you'll pedal through it, pedal through it. And if you really back up your drivetrain, you can tear your derailleur straight off your bike. Yeah. I mean, that. I think I snapped the spoke because the mud packed in. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're completely up a creek. Like, it was a very calm demeanor and individual. He's like, well, I just tore my derailleur off. I was like, huh. I don't know what that means. Like, is your day Ooh. over? I would say so. Uh, he was he was going after it. He's like, oh, I got, I think, I don't know what he was going to do. Maybe his bike can do a single speed. And, yeah. And, so that I think there's there's another interesting element there for me also um, being on the call it back end of the fitness curve. There are people out there who can withstand a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there was a guy that finished in 48 hours. Yeah. I mean, so there are people who are impressive in their ability to just sort of withstand adversity. And you're probably in that category, honestly. I was going to say you're in that category. I mean, like me. Yeah. In your like, I think most people would not give you credit for saying you're going to finish your first 200. I mean, it seems outlandish. Right. And you did it in respectable time too. You did sub 20 hours. Did you finish at like midnight yeah. your first oh, year? Like, yeah. You can finish at like 6 a.m. You, you you finish oh, what 50 percent faster than you needed to. <laughs> so, okay. But, I, I, I understand, yeah. People are silly in what they would stand. I guess I, I guess I felt like... So, the, So I mean, then the sort of abbreviated version of my day. So, walking at 1 a.m. And also 1 a.m. This was... This, riding through the night was... I think getting... I did it again. The goal is to get through the night. And then once you get into the morning, I feel like you get a little bit... Eliza said that was going to happen. You get rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. The light comes up, you lose, you're like real tired at kind of as the sun is coming up. And then I got, by 10 o'clock, I was like, yeah, I feel good. But so walking 1 a.m. 
end of 1am being like, I feel like I've been riding in the dark for quite some time, and I'm not even halfway through the night. Right. This <laughs> is hard. At four-ish, getting, talking to you on the phone and thinking, this is brutal. The bike, Ted's bike, is just, the bottom bracket's creaking, like the whole thing, this just feels totally impossible. I called Jenny, so I feel like now I'm going to admit to some stuff that I don't have a social media presence, so if you dump on me, people light up. So Jenny came out, so I called, Jenny rode with me for maybe 10 miles the first night. Uh-huh. She she came out to watch, she'd never been out to see it. Um, she's a Kansan. She's a Kansan. So she rode, she didn't bring me anything the first night, I felt like that was within the spirit of, of the rules. I know that... I think if you're in the front, that kind of psychological advantage is frowned upon or against the rules. But in any case, so I called Jenny at probably four, three, thirty, four o'clock, and just said, "Hey, if and Charlie." So she, she and my eleven-year-old were down there, and Charlie had wanted to ride with me a little bit, and I just sort of thought, "Boy, if Charlie wants to ride with me, he should come soon." <laughs> <laughs> because I'm ready to be done with this. Um, so they started driving. I started riding. Jenny then um, found me. So I rode. Did I ride with Charlie first or Jenny first? I can't totally remember. I think I rode with um, Jenny first. And then Charlie sat in the car and read his book. And then Charlie got on his bike, which yeah. is super fun. That's uh, so cool. So I rode Charlie for probably 10 miles. Um, and I thought, I had sort of thought we were going to end at mile 170, whatever, which was where you had said the mud started. Yeah. I was like, I'm not walking 10, like, I, I'm, I think I'm going to ride to 170. I rode Jenny, rode Charlie. I think I'm done. We get to mile 177, and Charlie looks at me and with these like, you're gonna keep going, right? Yeah. And one of it, he said, I think you should, I think you should go farther than Ted. Okay, Charlie, <laughs> we'll keep going. And I remember there was one time that, um, I always come back to this, there was a big splash competition when Charlie was maybe five at uh, Jenny's parents out in Kansas. Yeah. And uh, Jenny's brother did, I think he ended up second in the big splash. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have, so I went off and didn't win my little big splash heat. And Charlie looked at me with these eyes like, you didn't win, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so then I kind of resolved to, I don't want to disappoint yeah, my... <laughs> always impressed. Um, but so he and Jenny kind of talked me into getting, like, maybe the mud is not as bad as they said it was, which yeah. I actually think it was a little bit better. I think it had dried out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they were going to meet me at, on kind of on the other side of the mud at 225. And there I made a critical error. Mm. I had washed the, my bike off, your bike off with my water bottle and I didn't refill it. Ooh. So I, because I thought I was going to quit because I thought we were going to get to where the mud was and I was just going to get in the car and I didn't. Um, and so then I ran out of water. So then I ran out of water. And I should have stopped it. I should have. That was. I thought about bringing. I think I might bring a water filter next time. Yeah. 
Valley. Running out of water is um, that is not bad. a place you want to be. And so then I so then Jenny went to two twenty five. She rode back to me, and so it was probably so I bet I rode ten or fifteen miles without water. Um, and finally, I was just looking on the side of the road. I don't think I would have taken a Bud Light can, but I did find some half-empty water bottles and drank those. <laughs> oh, man. I was very thirsty. Wow. Which, and once you're thirsty, that's then you're totally screwed. Yeah, and so sun's up at this point. Sun, it's warm. Yeah, yeah, this is down. It's warming up quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So, so then I get to the rest stop, which is where the aid station was. So Doug and right. Eliza and right. Tim, who had Tim had dropped, were there. And so Doug and Eliza drive out. Jenny sort of rode ahead of me to get back because I was starting to just totally drag. And I ended up then walking. So I think I got heat stroke. I ended up walking. Doug and Eliza pull up. I like co- kind of collapsed into the car. And they put they could, like put ice on me, gave me a bunch of water. And then um, uh, Mickey and Sydney and Petey and Chick were up ahead at the, the gas station. And so... so Jenny and Eliza and Doug were sort of like, oh, you got to just ride up there. It's not that far. So I start riding and then puke the water up. Mm-hmm. It was like right in front of Mickey. Puke, <laughs> puke right in the road. And then got there. And then I, kinda, I got the shakes. I, which I, Eliza said, that's your, um, your body's body Your like temperature. Right. Is yeah, it's like counterintuitive. Your, your, your jettisoning water you're throwing up you're basically yeah as much as you should be absorbing stuff and keeping stuff in you're just you're screwed yeah so I think at that point I don't think and then the other thing this infection that I had in my nether regions so then I tried to sit on my bike and I couldn't sit on my bike which so I don't know if it was numb because I'd been riding on it I, the whole thing just kind of imploded um uh, I had said to somebody before, I said, I'm, maybe 200 is not the limit. You know, like, why not try 350? So, I think 225 was my limit <laughs> that that's, day. That's, but not henceforth. That's, a consi- that's your, what, longest distance ever? Yep. yep. As it should be. Uh, do you want to explore? you want to talk about a little infection you got? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this a family podcast? This is, I mean... Yeah, we just we talk about medical things. We talk about bike riding. Yeah. We talk about you know. I think people will spend considerable period of time trying to figure out the right saddle for them, yeah. and they'll go get bike fit at a variety oh, of different shops. Make I sure the right three D printed saddles and all this other mumbo jumbo. Or you just find the saddle that works for you. Or you just ride on whatever Ted uses. Or in your case, that you're, you adopt a bike and it has a saddle is on it. The same <laughs> So, at what point um, do you decide that your taint hurts? It was when I tried to get back on the bike. So it I wasn't mean, until two. It wasn't until two twenty-five. Because okay. I was so even at two ten, right before I ran out of water, I was like, I think I might keep going. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, I've definitely gotten a like by the rules. I think I am no longer. Just if, if everybody in front of me had quit because of the mud, I think I would have still turned down whatever <laughs> accolades. Right, because you get the moral support of riding with an um, 11-year-old. But, uh, but at 210, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I can ride another 140 miles, but I bet I could ride another 50. Like, why not keep going? Yep. And then, so I felt good enough. I don't know. My, 
But so I don't know what. So the the infection thing, the punchlines, right? So I get off the bike. Kind of immediately, my um, saddle region, I think they call it, mm-hmm. of my sort of the front of my butt. Yep. Got a swollen. I would say it was probably four inches long, running front to back by maybe a half an inch, half inch in diameter. I mean, it was like a round, it was almost like the shape of your index finger. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, Jenny was like, oh, you just pinched, it just sort of pinched on the saddle. I'm sure it's just some sort of swelling. And so I didn't really think about it. Um, I just assumed I'd been riding my bike for a while. um, So it's on one side. So only on one side. Yep. So then um, it's still there the next day. Monday, um, I noticed that my um, scrotum was looking inflamed. It's <laughs> the first time the scrotum has been used on this podcast. Swollen, and which is kind of surprising. I mean, I feel yeah. like biking. I, I mean, that's a, be more common. That's the medical term, I think. Correct. Right? I'm, I'm with I'm, you. Um, so there is. I mean, the discomfort about talking about this stuff actually is a little bit relevant. So. Um, and I was like, ah, it's probably just the swelling is, right? Because when you hurt your knee and you have swelling, it goes down your ankle. Like, I just flown from Kansas, so I didn't really think about it. And then talked to um, two people. My buddy Chester is a family doc, and then my cousin Tom. And they both said, um, and Jenny was like, ah, I don't want to look at it. And both of those guys said I think you should go to the hospital. Well, yeah, I don't get many phone calls from Jenny, and it was probably Monday night. I got oh, a phone yeah. call from her, and 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 she very delicately asks me about saddle source, and I was like, ah, yeah, hit or miss, yes, thing get infected. And your wife is a physician, not of the looking at, oh, yeah, looking the, at the other, every now and again, the other genders, but in other regions, right, of the reproductive variety of females, ah. Uh, I said, you know, talk to an ER doc. You have one literally up the road, and your cousin Tom. Yeah, yeah. So and then, the, the, right, so the next the, thing I so get the, is a text from yeah. the two of you in so the, the ER. So the political situation that was happening at that moment in our kitchen was I was trying to make the case that, like, I think I should maybe go to the hospital. Uh-huh. And she was making the case of, I don't think you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so she was marshalling her resources. Of, uh, I'm going to call Ted, who I'm sure has these problems all the right, time. Right, He's right, going right, to say it's right. no big deal. Um, yeah, ice your balls and you're good the next day. So I went to yeah. So I went to the hospital. Um, ended up in the CAT scan machine. Um, wow. They, yeah. So I went. So yes. Um, so yeah, yeah saddle sores are not already, uncommon, and going to the hospital is also not uncommon. So is the saddle sore an infection like that? Uh, it certainly can be. I mean, they they can be as superficial as a little, basically like a little zit, which is super painful because you're yeah. sitting on a zit. Or they can become incredibly inflamed. You can have surgery. They can lance them, and so that was what they were talking about. Yeah. Whether they needed, so they didn't end up lancing it. I went on some antibiotics for a week. Yeah, um, yeah, I was in the hospital for. I felt like you. Go on a bike ride. Go to the hospital. <laughs> Rinse, repeat. Uh, you presumably weren't riding. I mean, you know, you're, you you peaked your fitness for right. unbound. Well, right. So it's not as though you needed to start riding the next day. I did. Well, so a couple things happened. So I didn't have to start riding the next day. I wasn't headed to Tour Divide. Um, 
I came home. I, tr- I wrote of Jenny last week once. It was pretty sore. And then the... Um, Which is post-infection, theoretically. Post-infection. Well, there, I mean, there's still... I think there's still a... Yeah. It, there's definitely still You've some it. sort of inflammation there. But uh, the rear wheel on my mountain bike, something stripped out yeah. in the hub. Kim's so, working on it. We're working on it. Under, underway. And then um, the your hour bike... Your bike is, uh, the gene has the wheel, spoke, yep. destroyed, the slate. The slate is the bike no. right now. Cannondale, Topstone, Carbon, Lefty. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying the slate, which is your previous two yeah, unbounds. Yeah. The slate, which is the predecessor to the Topstone. I, I do wonder, Ted. I of told you I felt like I was cheating on the slate riding yeah. on Topstone, yeah. which I feel like the... The bike gods reached out and flicked me, but because I... <laughs> I mean, this is a perfect... You should have ridden an aluminum bike. I don't yeah. know what I was thinking. The top zone is such a relic. I mean, it, it came out in, I think, 2016, so... The slate. The sli- sorry, the slate. I mean, that slate is the original gravel bike, right? right? Right. That's, like, the one that started it all. Yep. Big clearance, a little bit of suspension, a, a Franken bike for all intents and purposes, but in production, and now... Suspension on gravel bikes is a thing. Yeah. Um, Including that rear triangle on the top stone. Is the idea mm-hmm. that there's just a little bit of flex in that? Or? So your chain stays will flex, allowing that pivot to actually pivot. So because it's how, carbon. How, but there's no, gi- there's no give there's to no, it. Right, make, there's no I'm air shock. I'm making motions with my hands, realizing <laughs> that we are uh, audio format. Yeah, it allows, I think it... Just if little, you did something in slow mo with a highly sensitive camera, you would see it move. But it's also wildly efficient because there is not an air shock and there's not. It's still all uh, rigid for all intents and purposes. Now, what did you you rode that um, Super Six Super Six Evo SE, which is the same bike I rode in the previous Unbalanced. That is my gravel race bike. Now, why is the top zone not? Just the weight of the shock is... The bike is a little bit heavier. Uh, yeah, on paper it should be... Well, Alex Howes, who is a former world tour buddy of mine, is doing Tour Divide on the top stone. Really? Yeah. You were doing it on a hardtail mountain was, bike. Yeah. I mean, that top stone is functionally a hardtail mountain bike. Those, yeah. Those tires were huge tires. Yep. Um... Yeah, I I was the equipment wise. I mean that flat side and the sort of wear and tear of the mud. I was, I felt like I was comfortable and pedaling and wasn't. I don't yeah. know, my back. I, like I didn't hurt. I also oh one thing that I did that was different this year also was I started taking ibuprofen. I was I took six hundred milligrams of ibuprofen every six hours proactively starting before the start. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely do that again actually. I was worried it was going to mess with my stomach because, again, another, along with, <laughs> every year, I need to do a ride with a Garmin before, or whatever navigation device I'm going to use, before I go. Because <laughs> every year yeah. I get on the start and I'm like, I hope I don't push the wrong button right. and delete all. Because you and I were literally brought, sitting at the start, 15 minutes before the start, trying to make sure the course loaded. Yeah, that could have gone sideways. Um, which is a, a testament to your calm demeanor going into these events. 
when it comes to, uh, I'll just use the word preparation. Like you're not thrown <laughs> off. <laughs> you're not thrown off by worrying about your fitness or worrying about the hardware, or worrying about the maps or worrying about the navigation or worrying about hydration. It's all like, oh, we'll figure it out on the fly. We'll figure it out when we need to figure it out. So let's go through. Well, so the worrying about the nutrition and hydration, you had a funny experience with my nutrition and hydration, I think. Uh, in At- talking you through it? No, no, no. After I collapsed into my bed when I got back and you unloaded my bike and backpack. Oh my gosh. Right. Over the course, okay, we're back at HQ. We have both DNF'd, I think scratch is the, the more polite term. And more Eliza and Tim, our co-workers at Untap, go through your bike. I was also part of this. In between your hydration pack and your uh, the various bags on your bike, I think we pulled out 30 untapped packets, at least. Oh, unused oh, ones. At least, yeah. Which is a quarter gallon of maple syrup. So I have a question. What, so before the start, I went out and... Because I was like, I can't ride... 350 miles of gas station food. Mm-hmm. I just don't think. I just can't do it. I don't. I don't eat. Hobos and big dogs. Like I just don't do that. Pizza, pop tarts. I think it. W- I think I was intimidated by the heat. By mm-hmm. the previous two years, I'd had stomach issues, but I think that was because of the heat. So I think it is. You are more capable of eating crap at night when it's not as hot. Uh-huh. But I did go out and staged two bags of two Ziploc bags of stuff. I went back and forth on whether that was outside the rules, but... Street legal. I, I mean, it was available for everybody to do. I don't know. There was nothing explicit in the rules. It said you can't do it that. It said you can't stage creep. I, Is that legal or not? It's not against the rules explicitly, as far as you've seen. Maybe it will become against the rules <laughs> as a result of my discretion. <laughs> as long as you get a rule named after you, then you're okay. Jenny did say she... Uh, because I didn't see anybody else, mm-hmm. so I thought, oh, maybe I'm the only one. But she said she rode by some guy when she that first night when she was coming out to say hi. And uh, she was like, oh, hey. And he was like, oh, I'm just uh, standing here. She said he looked super <laughs> sketchy, and she thought he'd done the same thing. Uh, I think you were going to say this guy was, like, over the moon because he's like, I just found this bag. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 65 <laughs> untapped. But, uh... So the night, so the preparation, nutrition, hydration, mm-hmm. um, that morning, or no, the night, the day before, I was like, I, I need to pack. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? So that, that was a little bit of a panic nutrition thing where I said, I don't even know. I started counting them and then I was like, I'm just going to fill this bag and put as much as I can. And then... Then my thought was, well, when I get there, I'll sort of figure out what I need. I'll very calmly figure out what I need and then kind of keep going. And then I got there and it was three o'clock in the morning and I just grabbed the thing. Right. I was terrified someone was going to see me and call me out for cheating. So just stuffed all the <laughs> stuff in my, in my bag and then started riding. And I, I don't know. I, it's hard to put yourself in the 3 a.m. Right. Rationality. Anyway, so preparation. Machine. Yeah. So nutrition and hydration preparation. My theory on that was you can spend a lot of time thinking carefully about what you're going to do. But I think, I don't know, what did uh, 
Mike Tyson say. So everybody's got a plan until you get punched punched in the the nose. Um, I think at some point you just got to have stuff you like to eat, try to have as much of it as you can, and off you go, right? Yeah. And, I mean, you're using history to your benefit. We talked in the last podcast about your last one bound where you had something like 70 on tap packets. I mean, you had more than a half gallon of maple syrup. syrup. And that worked well for you. And that is, I mean, shoot, your body fuel is fueled by carbohydrates and endurance events. And so what better thing than something like that? I can get your point. And honestly, I ran out of water. I I was not hungry. Uh After biking for 23 hours, I was definitely not hungry. Yeah. Funny. I had a lot of calories. Um, <laughs> mud, the mud, just dumping pack. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we're we're talking about the preparation and a, a little bit of a laissez-faire approach. Nutrition, hydration. You you figured that out just before eat, and just and eat on the as spot. much as you can. I mean, my plan was I need to be eating two to three packets an hour, and I need mm-hmm. to be drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to, when I drink, I'm going to put a lot of, I'm going to, I'm going to put three or four packets in each bottle. Yep. Well, right. Then you're consuming them as you're hydrating. Yeah. Um, how about your hardware? Did it, did it ever occur to you to have arrow bars? I mean, I, I, it did. Wait, when, okay. When, so, so you did first, not I run thought it was against, Yeah. I thought it was against the rules and then you show up with arrow bars <laughs> And in, like how in between, while I'm going out and stashing food on the course, I was like, wait, well, hold on. I like how you're privy enough to the situation to know that arrow bars are illegal in some capacity. They, they are illegal in the, in the what, pro-men and pro-women's 200-mile race. And, and is that I think a, that's a safe, that's a, we don't want people falling off their bikes because they're in arrow bars or... You just look like a nerd? Well, I, I think it's basically you look like a nerd because the irony is... Presumably, those are the, the best bike handling skilled riders out there. Yeah, one would argue. Me accepted. And the the that's the group that probably needs it the least. I think there are so many people who couldn't finish the event were it not for the two hundred miles, were it not for the different positions, were it not for getting arrow and going an extra third of a mile an hour faster. So, I think it goes back to aesthetic. Uh, displeasing of the event I mean so yeah I wish they were banned I mean I'm glad they're banned in that race um and but I think they're certainly beneficial in every other race so I I, so I saw a a lot of people with them I mean I had two thoughts one was that boy it would be kind of nice to be um a little bit more arrow Mm -hmm. whilst riding have Um, you ever used arrow bars in your life I used arrow bars I don't remember why when I was in college I think I came upon a pair of arrow bars, and I, I don't know. I've, ra- I've done one formal bike race in my life, which I didn't obviously didn't use arrow bars because it was a road cat five, I think, nice. in uh, somewhere down in your neck of the woods. Really? Outside. Yeah. Where was it? What, Southern New Hampshire? Yeah. Like late 90s? Yeah, late. Uh, yeah, no, 2000s. I think I was in college. No? I can't remember. Wow. I remember uh, I practiced, maybe Cosmo Catalano listens to this, but Cosmo was a biker. From, yeah, totally. You know Cosmo? How the race was won. He, we oh, yeah. Yeah, Cosmo. So he talked about the Peloton slide. 
Uh-huh. So in my Cat 5 Peloton, I would try to hit the hill at the front of the Peloton. Yeah. And then by the time I got to the top, I would be at the back. Lift by the drift, <laughs> die by the drift. It's very smart. You will not get KOMs that way, but man, it's a smart move. No, but when you were, when your when your day job is alpine skiing, yeah, you rarely get KOMs anyway. Um. So no. So I've used aero bars, but I don't know when. I... You're familiar with the concept of aero bars, yeah. But but getting down arrow in them might not. So my doesn't it make your back hurt? It's the kind of thing you wouldn't want to use for the first time on the start line. Uh, yeah, Maybe. because it's... Uh, how do you know? Exactly. Has anyone ever tried? One way to find <laughs> no out. 2024, I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, it's worth testing out the position. You're, you'll put different strains in your body, on your back, on your but it's pretty neck, easy, on easier your on your shoulders. Sure. Easier. And that's where I think it's an advantage for so many people because you're just variety is what's going to get you through an event yeah. of that distance. But... When you're pushing your bike, uh, is it a nicer, when you're holding the bars, <laughs> is it better? There were times I did that, where I would literally put my arms in the air position and just walk like on the side. slog along. Did you worry about falling into that barbed wire at all? I got, that, that's a huge reason that I stopped, was I'm worried about, you know, after an hour and a half of walking and I'm frustrated. There was one time I stepped into like a... Uh, a hole that a cow had made or something. Oh yeah. And I buckled my knee backwards. Oh. I didn't hyperextend it, but but it it was yeah. jarring and it hurt. Yeah, and when you're pissed off already and you're yep. yeah. And I'm like, okay, my bigger priority in the next month is tour divide. I, I'm gonna be so angry if I hurt myself doing this event yeah. in preparation. And then I bring that up because there was another time that I walked into barbed wire in a similar sort of jarring oh. thing. And I yeah, jammed myself really hard. Was it on, it was like scrap barbed wire yeah. on the ground? Yeah. Was it on the yeah. right side of the road? I think this one was on the left. because um, I walked into one on the right. The thing I was worried about, so I was riding in the grass uh-huh. on one side or the other because the dew would get the grass wet and that would yeah. kind of knock the mud off. So I would just ride along. And then at one point, I realized I was like eight inches away from six strands of barbed wire yeah. riding in the dark through grass that has random obstacles in it and totally picturing myself just completely yeah. wrapping myself right. up in the barbed wire. Ah. I thought about hopping the fence and riding in the fields. Did you see anybody do that? I didn't see people do that, but I know that was a worry of... There's some folks who live in town who are very familiar with the race, and they're like... You put the first, the 200-mile section through the first muddy section, the 200-mile race through the first muddy section. Yeah. And if it's horrible, people are going to jump the fence, and that's going to be, like, the end of this race. Because if you put Uh, 2,000 people through somebody's farm field, and they don't want 2,000 people there, So that didn't happen, but, yeah. So I have a a question, and I don't... The ride's the ride, right? It's yeah. a, it's a challenging thing. You go out to do it. I don't expect to have my hand held. I read all the things that say we're not going to come get you. You need to call nine one one. Although there were definitely some sections where you certainly <laughs> yes, yeah, only if you have reception. <laughs> um, I would have accept. Did, do you think they thought about rerouting it around that mud? Because the mud, I think it had been dry until that week. Uh, I don't think there was ever an expectation to reroute, especially the 350. The 350 is just... Is what it is. Is what it is. I'm told that the 100 milers were told that if it's muddy, they will get rerouted in their first uh, muddy section. 
the one that we went through, I forget what, miles 20, miles 17, the one that wasn't like muddy that, until it, it was, was nothing for us. Deluge. It was yeah. horrible for the, the next day racers, the Saturday mm-hmm. racers. Yeah, I was told they weren't, they were going to have uh, a diversion. So it's completely possible. But the 350. This is all here. like an adventure and it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to like the taxi service, right? Okay, taxi service would be very busy. Uber would have a, a field day, except they don't want to clean up the back of their car. Yeah, I don't know that would let me into my Uber. And I don't, exactly, like, I don't, I also don't blame the race for not offering pickup service. Because, I mean, that would be completely overwhelming. It's almost, yeah, no. I mean, the, the number of people the, who the quit they knew they could. The is, 350 is fascinating, though, because the, the, we're not, I think the hardest thing about the 350 to me was I'm going to go out and I'm not going to see, and obviously Jenny came, you know, so I, I, I understand the psychological assistance there, but one of the things that made the 200 viable was I'm going to see you guys at mile 80. I'm going to see yeah. you guys in like five or six hours and I can sit down and I can, and, and even not so much the, just, I'm going to see you guys. And then I'm going to see you guys at mile 150, and you're going to be excited, and I'm going to be excited, and that's going to get me going. Mm-hmm. But to get on your bike at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and think, I am not going to see anyone that I know until Saturday, Sunday, whatever, like for another <laughs> day and a half, that, uh-huh. that was the most daunting part, I thought. Yeah. So I understand that. I also wonder if they, yeah, I don't know, like a... A rest station or a a uh, a neutral aid station? Yeah, an aid station. I would, I think, make the thing. Yeah. I mean, the gas station. Thing well, that's funny. So you as the gas station. Yeah, give me a gas. Station. Like I, uh, the term war war zone. I mean, so somebody, up. I don't know who they found cases of water. I bought just water bottles. Uh-huh. There's like a line. I mean, the the people must. This is like aliens coming in to some. Random Kansan Casey. This is my 150. This is my 75. 150 was a little bit more tame because I think it had. I think I was actually a little bit farther. I had passed some people through the night, but at the mile 75, there's track. I mean, the tra- even with 150 or yeah. however many people it was, there was kind of trash everywhere because the trash cans were full. Yep. There were yeah open water bottles. I mean, it was yeah. I can see that'd be mad. We zipped through that one. There did was a stop? lot more did you mud. stop or not stop? We did stop, which I was kind of frustrated by. Only because did. I had prepared. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see what other people do. Right. And everybody had talked about, we're going to go through it, we're going to go through it. And then at the last minute, they're like, ah, oh, we're going to stop. I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's, go, let's stop. Like, I was prepared to go 150. That was... That was also, I guess my frustration was bigger because as much as everybody said we're going to stop, then like two people went kept going and then it became this stupid dynamic race blah 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 so they got ahead they got ahead inevitably knew they were going to get caught they were fine with that but just they could I mean that goes back to like that's the tactics of this silly right. race um Do you I was told I, 150 was just a, like that's the one between 75 150 is when I got super muddy the first time yeah. and I tracked a ton of mud in and I was the first person in the store and I'm like oh my gosh this is going to be horrible I I that, saw pictures. It was just that was the guy with the pressure. Filthy. That was the guy with the pressure washer. Did he walk back in and pressure wash the floor? Like uh, he probably. We did. must have smoked that place, and and that's where it's a little bit. 
I mean, you just end up being apologetic, like, sorry, guys, uh, thank you for your Coke and Snickers bar. I hope, I mean, you know, it's, it's one in the morning. Like, yeah. what do they expect to see? What a weird zone. I, I do come back to I, the, the friendliness of the people in the Emporia region is, I, I think, incredible. And maybe it's, maybe it's just once a year that it happens. And, but every, everybody was excited. There was a guy handing out water. Oh, that was, that was helpful. That's right. In probably mile 50, there was a guy that was handing out water bottles. Nice. Which was great. Much appreciated. Shout out so to the guy. Yeah, I don't know if Casey's... I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I was a, if I was the guy running the convenience store, I'd probably be bummed that it got all muddy. But at the same time, well, it must be. I mean, kind of entertaining. It crossed my I mind. Don't like, sell very much stuff. But. They're going to be. You know, they're open twenty four hours. So presumably, they're open twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five. <laughs> Except next year, they'll be closed on unbound day. Ah, sorry, we, we don't have to deal with that this year. 24, 7, 364 days yeah. a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Preparation. Preparation. Well, air bars. Oh, lights. Air bars. I mean, that's, there, was, there was a bunch of cool stuff. I mean, and, again, and, and Ted, I, I, um, I mean, I've reflected on this a little bit since with your last month. I mean, I, I, you have allowed me to do things that I never thought were possible. And I would say like lights is this preparation thing. You have inspired me and encouraged me and supported me to have, if I am in a vacuum, I cannot half-ass the preparation for this. If I know I'm going to get to Emporia and Ted's just going to tell me what to do. Like, okay. I can, <laughs> Hi, Ted's gonna send me the Amazon listing for whatever light I need to get, and that little funny interlock gizmo, and the battery pack, and you know, um, that was easier than I thought it was gonna be. I was worried that I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't put a light on my helmet. Did you have it? Did you buy two lights? Uh, I bought one. I had another had one. one. I had. I had my light. I should have just bought two of them, but. Yeah. Um, it was fine. I led in the handlebars. It was a full moon, so I even rode without a light for a while. Yep. Um, my preparation for Unbound XL was overshadowed by my preparation for Tour Divide. And I'm doing all the bags and the bikes and the equipment and the tires and the dynamo hub and all this stuff. And yeah, which was overshadowed by the fact that you and your family of four was on the road for... Four five months. four months leading into right. it. So I'm trying to <laughs> so. I'm trying to pack for a tour divide that takes place in June in February because that's when I'm gonna leave. And then oh at the last minute I mean it was probably a month in advance of Unbound that I thought, holy smokes, the XL is totally different than the two hundred that I'm accustomed. Like I do need lights, I do need a hydration system, I do that, Well that was funny about the lights. Yeah, because you've never used lights in Kansas. No. Because right, you finish right, right, at like right. four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. Yeah. It's in the rules that you have to start. I think probably 10% of people, especially in the pro wave, no one does it. But it's in the rules, so you got to do it. Yeah. And, yeah, I usually have, like, a, a two-lumen rear light. And this year, I was like, no, I need a cannon of a light. Yeah. So, I need yeah, to be able to see I'm very all my to prep, scrape right? all the mud off of my bike. And it was probably, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I'm glad you had the, the foresight, because it was probably three weeks in advance that you're like, hey, what lights do I need? What hydration do I need? And... I don't know. 
Oh, we figured it out. Yeah, we figured it out. We got a hydration pack. I mean, and I think there's a lesson there to me, which is, yeah, just go out and do it. I don't know. I, yeah. Right? I had. A, I would have been better off with a two-liter hydration pack. But when I frantically looked for the hydration pack I had used last year, which I think is still in my house somewhere, and probably, honestly, the one I used two years ago... I couldn't find them, and so I had to make my fourth trip to your house that night to rummage through your basement and found a one and a half liter pack. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go ride. And if you have more preparation time, be better prepared. And if you don't, that's the way it goes. Just do it. That's right. That's. Pretty spot on. How how did your say fitness preparation in this year compare to the previous two years? I think it was better. I mean, I did more because I was, and that was that was part of my goal in doing the three fifty was I am going to be more scared of this race, and so I'm going to ride more. So I definitely rode more, and part of that I ditch work more. I mean, I rode during the day a little bit more. I did one eight-hour ride. I did one I mountain bike and then bike. So I did, I mean, I didn't, I bet I rode 60 or 70 miles that day. What portion but, of your 80-mile ride constitutes your entire spring lead-up by volume, by time? I was wondering, I don't think I rode 350 miles before. Yeah. I don't think. Maybe. You're like, if I amalgamate all of this training, I yeah. can totally do it. Which I think was the same with the 200s. I bet I had ridden somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 miles before the ride. Yep. The thing that I will do differently next year... On the assumption that you do what? On the assumption... The 350? Yeah. Okay. Right? I don't know. What are you going to do? Laura did the 100 this year. That seems like a totally sane distance. Yeah, that's a reasonable distance. It's like... You're done by whatever, by noon. Yeah. You start that morning. I mean, you, you were done by noon. I was done by noon. <laughs> I was done by 3 a.m. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm most intrigued to do the 350. What, uh, so you, on the assumption you're doing the 350, what would you do different? So would I would try to... I mean, I would have the weather not be as wet. Sure. But... Um, Good forecasting. I would try to, well, I don't think forecasting really matters because. Well, I guess if I forecast. It's like, the day it is. There's nothing you can do about it. You can bail. You could DNS. You bail, yeah. You're like, I'm going to go to Culver's. Have you been to Culver's yet? Oh, the uh, frozen custard, custard. custard place? Oh, God, so good. We left your in laws and went and got frozen custard. It was so good. Um, um, keep going, okay. So I would try to do a little bit. Your your advice that you got to do eight hours. Uh-huh. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, eight hours is then you're you're pushing your nutrition program. You know, you're you're sort of testing all of those long distance things. But the thing you had told me to do that I did once that I would do more of um, was to do a. You called it a Tabata ride on my driveway. Tabatas? Yeah. I did five seconds on, ten seconds off. Yeah. For like ten minutes or whatever. I did it. My that I my theory was this is gonna be my my ace in the hole of preparation. I'm gonna go out and do this every night. Ted says it's gonna increase my VO2 max. Yeah. 
this is this is going to be the difference maker for me. Uh-huh. I did it once, and then for the next. 27 nights, I came up with reasons why this wasn't the perfect night to go out and do that, even though it was only 10 minutes. But that's an example of something where I felt like, eh, you know, whatever. But now, well, no, I didn't make it. And part of the reason I didn't make it is I think I didn't, I didn't quite have the sort of physical reserves to get through the day. So I should train a little bit more. When you walk... Yeah, somewhere between. I should put my put my cycling shoes on and walk up and down my driveway. <laughs> First, go walk through clay, and then go walk up and hang out. If you walk seven to twelve miles at a mile and a half to two miles an hour at one o'clock in the morning at midnight, yeah, that's going to really kill your average speed. I wonder if it was how fast you're biking, but unless you're. A two-year-old that right. would kill your average speed. I wonder if you extract that, if you take the, the crap weather out, how far you would go. Based on what you just said, of like you you do, you basically just said you you feel like your fitness might have been at a detriment. I wonder how far you would have gone. I mean, I, I I'm led to believe you would have finished the gosh darn thing. I think I would have finished. Yeah. I, that's my theory. So I felt I've been. I mean, I obviously have been thinking about this and trying to. I bet I walked for three hours. Right on and off the bike on that first the first section before the gas station, and then the section that you or you texted me. I bet it was eight-ish miles at two miles an hour. I guess that's four hours. That's four. So I don't know. Whatever. You're fast walker. Okay. I think I don't know. Maybe more than three. But three hours. Um, and then the bike the bike getting beat up is more. I think that bottom bracket. Gets a bunch of grit in it, and I yeah. think that is. Which, like, to be fair, I started with an incredibly sweet bike, so you know maybe that just levels the playing field, having it be reduced in efficiency a little bit. But <laughs> I think it's totally doable, Ted. Level the playing. That's what you need. You're at too much I mean, of an advantage. Going into these races. I mean, those wheels. Those wheels were unbelievable. Right. You are. I also assume. 303s. I was super impressed that the spoke broke. I figured with a carbon wheel, if anything goes wrong, the thing just disintegrates. <laughs> but it didn't. Broke a spoke. It had a, it had a little bit of a wobble to it, but I rode. I probably rode 120 miles with a My thing with a broken spoke. Carbon wheel anecdote is when I first got into cycling, that's when I think carbon wheels were beginning to become popular. That was early 2000s. And I used to say you'd look at a crack and you'd break your wheel. Like, you broke carbon all the time. All the time. And now carbon wheels are all I've been riding for the past six years, and I've never once broken a rim. Really? Yeah. It spokes. I mean, shoot, I don't think I've broken a spoke. Yeah, I mean, you also are. I, I receive a lot of wheels, and I can go through them quickly, but... Oh, uh, that wasn't where I was going. Oh. Go through them quickly because you are very fit, and you're... Oh. I don't know what the weight limit is on a 303... I think it's about. Carbon. I think it's two hundred forty pounds. Two hundred fifty oh. pounds. So you're 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 Depends. I guess under the max weight limit. Like as long as you take out a few gallons of maple syrup. Yeah, as long as I don't pack quite as many. Packets this is down. all a screaming endorsement for Zip carbon wheels, which are phenomenal. And you are on a great bike. I'm on a great bike. What? I think it's what good. kind of grits me is how expensive doing a gravel, I mean, a, a really muddy race is. And 
I'm the, the very lucky recipient of not having to pay for a lot of these things. But when you have to replace minimum the chain, chain rings, derailleur, pulleys, brake pads, bottom bracket, headset bearings, like that's expensive, let alone tearing derailleurs off and all this yeah. other stuff like that. Your gloves, your gloves are very dirty. Gloves, I can't, your chamois is full of, I mean, it's a, it's a bummer. The antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> Your insurance premium. I don't know. All that's a bit of a bummer, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's a. I mean, it's a bike race, right? So exactly. If you're there's no right question. There's no right answer. I mean, you definitely see people out there on more uh, on equipment that is more reasonable. If I didn't know you, I certainly would not be riding a bicycle that was ninety percent carbon. Um, would you redo it on a mountain bike? The guy who won was on a mountain bike. I don't think so. Would you? I think only in hindsight because of the weather. He like okay. He's a professional mountain biker. Hats off to Logan who who did really well. He was on a drop bar mountain bike, and so when we're all slogging through the grass and mud, he was riding in the grass and went by us and put an hour into us. On um, so he rode in the grass. Yeah, it was funny. We had a quick conversation. I forget exactly what he said. He's like, "Hey, Ted," <laughs> he just rode away and like, "See ya." See, I bet you could have done that on the bike I was on. The bike, I think he needed two and a half inch tires, two point uh, twos. Really? Do you think he made that decision when it was when he found out how muddy it was going to be? I don't think so. I think that was the bike he was going to run, which is a massive clearance, and then he had mountain bike wheels and mountain bike tires because he was at such a detriment up until that point. I just maybe maybe I he think, did maybe he I mean, made a tire choice. So here, so this, I mean, this gets into my preparation thing. Is if I felt like. I could ride 350 miles with sort of reserves to spare. Yeah, I'd ride a mountain, but I mean, I don't know. Then you just grind away. Um, if, but I don't. I mean, I feel like I need to be relatively efficient on the yeah. sections that need to be efficient for yeah. me to get to where I need to go. And I feel like on a mountain bike, I am. Yeah, if I was like 18, 19 years old, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you rode a hardtail mountain bike? Because you're riding a your trail. Well, sure. That's true. Your, your purple child seat special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's true. I mean, a hardtail mountain bike is probably similar to it's that top stone. Wildly efficient. I mean, yeah, your most recent mountain bike expeditions are on uh, trail-designed full-suspension mountain bikes. Which, yeah, you're going to get some bob. I bet... With a, I mean, okay, now we're into the minutia. Right. Yeah, I mean, but I don't... No, I don't think I would ride it on a... Because you rode Tour Divide on a hardtail. And would I you do that? certainly do that again. You would? Yeah. Was there single track? Yeah, there's uh, single track. You do some... Yeah, well, going into it, I was told that's the right bike. Get a, get a hardtail with front suspension. Because you just want the relief of front suspension over the course of riding 16 hours a day, day after day. Yep. But then there were some, like, loose, rocky 15-minute descents, and I'm, like, thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Thank God I'm not on a drop bar bike. Thank God I'm not on a rigid bike. Oh, so you didn't even... You had had aero bars, but not drop bars. Correct. Which is aesthetically very displeasing. The aesthetic portion of the one picture I saw that I was funny was you, were your uh, sandals tucked into the back. 
I was. Which I yeah. So seeing that, I actually thought on the ride, I had thought about taking another pair of bike shorts. I was like, why don't I do that? I mean, I had hilarious visions, but I it doesn't weigh that much. If I get to mile one fifty and I can change, can you imagine how good that would feel? That would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have still been very muddy with a clean pair of bike shorts. Yeah, putting on mid-ride changing sh- chamois, changing shorts is hit or miss. You want to be able to jump in some type of bathing situation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Taking care of your nether regions <laughs> might have been it. Um, so, flip a coin now. I mean, not flip a coin. Your plan... 2024 would be to take it on again. I'll do it again. I don't know. Yeah. You want to do it again? I do. Yeah. Yeah. You want to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. I think it's... Yeah, it's we fun. both have doing, unfinished business. Doing hard stuff is fun, too. And I... I um, yeah, like, I was disappointed not to finish. I'm certain that you were disappointed not to finish, win, set records. Finish. Like that's how you're. I mean, that's how we're wired. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's do it again. Let's try. Plan on it. Well, what do you think, Hazel? Timing is perfect. The kids have just come out of their holding pen. Laura, what what distance are you going to do if you do Unbound next year? 25, 50, 100, 200, 350. It's a great decision. Yeah. No, I don't know. Never say never. I still have unfinished business. That's right. Laura has a scratch next to her name in a 200. I think that's part of it. Just skip right over. Come to the 350. (laughs) Just go right into it. Why not? (laughs) Well, all right. Well, Ted, like I said, I, um, you have been... You have inspired me to do things that I did not think that I could do, that I don't know are reasonable to do. I think you've done that for a lot of people. I think you should be very proud of very proud of the impact you've had on many people. Well, that is very thoughtful. Um, of the many, I can't ask for a lot, but of you, in exchange, I can ask you to tune my skis. Yeah. So. Yes, I do owe you a ski tune. Um, <laughs> well, perfect. Tune skis and go skiing. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. Bye.